I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 5, 8. We're continuing our study of the Beatitudes at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So open to Matthew 5, if you would. Our first son, Calvin, was born uh, in the middle of my graduate studies, just as going into finishing up my second year, going into my third year. And uh, I have to set up this story a little bit. Calvin was big. He was born 10 pounds. He hit 22 pounds at four months. He, he was a hoover when it came to eating. And, and I know he packed lots of it on, but lots of it seemed to go right through him too. He did what I can only describe as violence to diapers regularly. <laughs> it was quite the adventure uh, into parenting. And uh, because he was born so big by emergency C-section, my wife, Christine was not even allowed to lift him, right? You can't lift over 10 pounds, and he started there. And so the routine when I was around, when I was not in Vancouver uh, studying, other t- we'd have other help from family, but when I was there, the routine was that I would get him, she'd get ready to feed him, and I'd, I'd give him to her. She'd feed for 45 minutes, and then he would poop, and I would change him, and then give him back to her, and he'd feed the other side for another 45 minutes, and, and then poop again, and I'd clean him up and put him to bed. That was the routine. One particular night, I was up late studying. I think Christine had already gone to bed. Calvin woke up. It was time to feed. So we went through this routine, and by the time that was all done, It was late. I had to get up at 5.30 to drive to Vancouver for an 8 o'clock class the next morning. So, you know, she fed him. I changed him, burped him on my lap, changed him, gave him back, got him back to bed, and I crawled into bed. And uh, the alarm went at 5.30 the next morning, got up, got dressed in the dark, and got in the car and hit the highway. I always went to Tim Hortons on my way. There was one conveniently located next to the the Trans-Canada. I'd jump on there, grab a coffee and a muffin, and hit the road. It was still dark, and so I uh, opened my muffin, put it on my lap, uh, started eating my muffin and drinking coffee as I made my way to Vancouver. And as I got closer and the sun came up, I, I glanced down at one point, stop and go traffic, and I noticed some discoloration on my pants, on both legs actually, right where my muffin had been sitting. And I thought, what, did I get muffin on there? only to discover that when I had burped Calvin the night before, he had blown the tires out of the diaper, and I was covered with baby poo. Let me remind you, that's exactly where I had placed my muffin and been eating it that morning while I drove to Vancouver. Not only did I have the day, a whole day in pooped on pants, but I had just eaten my muffin. I entitled this message, Unmixed, which is how I prefer my muffins. When I eat a muffin, I want to eat just a muffin. Not mostly a muffin along with something else. Just a muffin, unmixed, pure muffin. This morning, we continue our study, the Beatitudes, and we come to the sixth Beatitude with which Jesus introduces his Sermon on the Mount. The sixth Beatitude in which Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. 
what we will discover as we dig into this beatitude is that this purity of heart speaks to the quality of being unmixed, unadulterated, uncontaminated. Jesus pronounces that those with pure hearts, unmixed hearts, are blessed. They are to be congratulated. They are lucky bums. Why? Because they will see God. What a remarkable promise. They will see God. What does this mean? How are we to understand this, this beatitude, this promise? Before we turn to answer those questions, let me remind you of a few things that I've reminded you of each week. When we come to the Sermon on the Mount, we are coming to a picture of what life looks like when the gospel is heard and believed. When the good news that Jesus brings takes root in our hearts, it begins to change us. It begins to transform us. The Spirit of God has His way in us, and our lives are altered. They are transformed. In the Sermon on the Mount, we are encountering the ethics of the inbreaking kingdom. This is not something we can produce by our own striving. This is not something we become through our own efforts. This is a transformation that happens as the gospel takes root from the inside. And if we forget that, if we forget that this is a picture of what happens through the power of the gospel, through the Spirit and Christ working in us, then the Sermon on the Mount, if we forget that the Sermon on the Mount will become frustrating idealism, something we can never live up to, or oppressive legalism, something that will absolutely crush us. The Beatitudes with which the sermon begins provide us with a picture of Christian character. These characteristics, these qualities, are not natural human qualities. Jesus didn't show up and walk around Galilee looking for beatitude people. No, Jesus came uh, announcing, proclaiming the good news, and when people heard it and believed it, it took root in their hearts, their lives began to change. They began to exhibit these qualities. Remember as well that Jesus is not here describing eight different types of people, that, that one is poor in spirit, that another mourns, that still another is meek, uh, another is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. No, these eight qualities, these eight characteristics are uh, interrelated and inseparable. They all belong together in the life of every gospelized man, woman, or child. Likewise, all the promises are elements of what it means to receive the kingdom of heaven. That's the first promise and the last promise and the six between it are elements of that. To be comforted. When we receive the kingdom, we are comforted. We inherit the earth. We are satisfied. We receive mercy. We see God. We are called children of God. The Beatitudes all go together and their order is significant as well. We'll come back to that a little bit later. Today we come to the sixth Beatitude. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I want to ask three questions with you this morning in our time together. Uh, first question, what does it mean to see God? Second question, what does it mean to be pure in heart? And third question, how do we get purity of heart? What does it mean to see God? What does it mean to, to be pure in heart? And how do we get purity of heart? So question number one, what does it mean to see God? I don't know if you stop often and think about it, but this is an amazing promise. All the promises are great, but this, this one is amazing. 
We, Jesus says that those with pure hearts will see God, that they are blessed, fortunate. They'll see God. But what exactly does Jesus mean? What does it mean when he says the pure in heart will see God? Is Jesus speaking uh, literally? Or is he speaking figuratively, metaphorically? Is Jesus saying that the pure in heart will see God with eyes of faith, that they will, they, will, they will know God's presence, they will know the reality of God, they will see God at work, that they will see him with eyes of faith? Or is Jesus describing a seeing that is in some sense physical? And if that's what he means, what is it that they will see? Is there something to be seen? In 1 Timothy, Paul writes this to, uh, to Timothy, not, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory forever and ever. Amen. If God is invisible, what is it the pure in heart will see? Think back to the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. Moses asks God, show me your glory. And then we read this, and the Lord said to Moses, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Does God have a face to be seen? In Colossians, Paul writes this, in Christ... All the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. When Jesus says that the pure in heart will see God, does he mean that they will see him? God enfleshed. Is that what Jesus is saying? Think in John's gospel when Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus, Jesus responded, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Is Jesus saying that in seeing him, they'll see God? The first disciples did see Jesus. They were blessed. They were fortunate. They were lucky bums. But, but what about the rest of us? Jesus isn't present with us physically, not in the same way. Though Jesus did say this, that that when we welcome a child in his name, that we are welcoming him. Jesus says that, that when we feed the hungry, when we clothe the naked, when we visit the prisoners, when we, we invite in the stranger that we are inviting in Jesus. Is that what Jesus means when he says the pure in heart will see God? That we will see God in the face of that child or that marginalized person? Is that what Jesus is seeing, saying? I think that there is something to all of those answers. I think that we, the pure in heart, 
get to see God with eyes of faith, that we recognize the presence, the reality, the work of God in our lives. I, I believe that we see God in the person of Jesus. Jesus said that Jesus is God with human flesh on, God with a face. And, and, and Jesus says that, that when we do love the, the children, when we welcome them, when we reach out and care for the marginalized, that, that we are serving him, that we see the face of God. But I think that Jesus still means more. I think Jesus speaks also of the day that is coming, that day in the future where there will be a real seeing. In John 1, sorry, 1 John 3, we read this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him. And then there is Revelation, how the New Testament, how the whole biblical drama concludes with, with these words, then the angel showed me, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. They will see his face. That is the promise that one day when the curse is done away and God has restored all things, that his people will see his face. What will that be like? I don't know. But it is an amazing promise. It is an amazing promise that the, the pure in heart will see the face of God now through the eyes of faith, now in Jesus, now in the marginalized as we serve and love and care and sacrifice. And one day, there will be a real seeing of God. We will see his face. Lucky bums indeed. Question two. What does it mean to be pure in heart? In order to answer that, we need to ask two other questions. First, what does heart mean? And second, what does pure mean? In our culture, we tend to think of the heart as the, the seat of our emotions. It's where our feelings come from. I love you with all my heart. We, we say things like that. It's the, the emotional control room. I think there was a, a movie that came out about emotions or something, right, a while ago. There we go, inside out, right? Our, our heart is the place of the emotion, the control room. That, that, that's where our feelings come from. And then there's, there's other parts of who we are. There's there's our intellect, our mind, and there's our will, our, our choosing to do this or that. And in that way of thinking, heart is, is part of who we are. It's, it's the emotional part of who we are. And often in our culture, especially if you're male, but we denigrate that. We put down feelings, right? That, that's often true in our culture. But in Scripture, heart meant something quite different. In biblical language, heart was the center of an entire person. It included your feelings, but it, it also included your thinking. It included your willing. Your heart was the very core of who you were, who you are, the entirety of your person. So Jesus is saying here, blessed are those who are pure at the, the very core of who you are. 
pure at the center. At first glance, that may not seem to be good news, especially in light of what Jesus elsewhere says about the heart. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this, the terrible, tragic fallacy of the last hundred years has been to think that all man's troubles are due to his environment and that to change the man you have nothing to do but to change the environment. We think in our culture so often, we live in, you've heard the language of victim mentality, like we, we live in a culture where we are quick to point fingers. If there's something wrong with me, it's someone else's fault. You know, my parents or whatever, I mean, I don't know about you, but I would be a far more patient man if my wife was just more on time, right? That's kind of how we think. But that will not fly with Jesus. That was a joke. I warned her or asked her. It doesn't fly with Jesus, that's my point. My lack of patience My sin, my brokenness, my rebellion is not to blame on my parents or my wife or my kids or that idiot driver who just cut me off. Jesus says, for out of the heart, out of the very core of who we are, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. Jesus says, the problem is at the very core of who we are. The problem is our heart, not our environment. We, we cannot blame, not biblically, we cannot say, well, it's someone else's fault. They're the reason that I did this. They're the reason I am like this. Jeremiah, the, we read this, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Our problem is at the very core of who we are. The problem is with our heart. And yet here Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are pure in their very center, in the very core of who they are. That leads us to the question, what does pure mean? What does Jesus say when he says pure? Pure means clean, it means innocent, but it also has another very important sense, a sense that comes into play here, and that is of being unmixed, pure. One thing, unmixed, not muffin and other molecules of something. Think unalloyed. An alloy is, is a metal that is created by melting and mixing different metals. Bronze is copper and tin and some other things. That's an alloy. That's not pure. It's, it's, it's not, it, it, it's, it's mixed. And so purity has this idea of being unmixed, uncontaminated, unadulterated, pure. Jesus says, "Pure, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who are unmixed at the very core of who they are. This means more than simply being, being good, morally upright behavior, moral goodness exhibited externally. Jesus regularly critiqued the religious leaders of his day who externally were morally upright. They were obedient to the law. They, they looked good. They looked pure. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones and the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Being pure, being unmixed is, is far more than being externally good, looking morally upright. It's, it's more than compliance with an external list of do's and don'ts. It's important at this point for me to remind you of the fact that the Beatitudes, each of them, are interrelated and inseparable, that each one flows into the next. So understand this, that the pure in heart, those whom Jesus pronounces this blessing on, are first and foremost poor in spirit. The pure in heart are those who are poor in spirit, who come to God and know that their hands are empty, they've got nothing, they are spiritually bankrupt, utterly unable to to fix what is broken. There's the kingdom of heaven. That's the first beatitude, the poor in spirit. And, and, And the pure in heart are those who mourn, who mourn. They see the darkness of their own hearts, the wicked desires of their heart. They see the brokenness and rebellion in their own life and the world around them, and they weep over it because they know that this is not the way things are supposed to be. The pure in heart are the meek, those who have an accurate understanding of who they are and, and can, can rest in God's care, trusting Him, caring for others, putting the interests of others ahead of themselves. Meekness is not weakness, it is strength under control. The meek will inherit the earth. That the pure in spirit are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not those who are, are righteous, but those who recognize their unrighteousness. Recognize that not all is rightly related in their lives and they hunger and thirst for it. That they would live rightly with God, with others. They, they long for the right relatedness of all of creation. They will be filled And the pure in heart are the merciful, those who have experienced God's remarkable, generous, abundant mercy in their own lives and and are finding that it has transformed them, that they can't help but respond to others around them, to the sin of others with mercy themselves. They are becoming more and more like the one who saved them. All of those things are true of the pure in heart. So one thing we need to say with absolute certainty is that the pure in heart does not mean, it does not mean, it cannot mean being sinlessly perfect. So what does Jesus mean by pure in heart? What is Jesus saying? We find an important clue in Psalm 24 where we read this. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Pure in heart is one who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. That is an important help for us. As we think about what it means to be pure in heart, it it means being undivided, unmixed at the core of who we are. That we're we're not not pursuing idolatrous things, that, that we are... That, that we have single-minded devotion to God, that we are single-mindedly pursuing Him, that we desire one thing, that we desire God. And there's no hiding, there's no pretending, there's stepping out into the light. 
and living honestly before God with that single-mindedness. Daryl Johnson says this, that purity of heart has to do with integrity, living truthfully. It means we can, we can name our sin what it is. We can confess it. We can acknowledge our need before God that we can come and say, God, I want, I want you. I want to want you. John Stott says this about the pure in heart. Their whole life, public and private, is transparent before God. And men, again, no, no hiding, no pretending, no pretense, no hypocrisy. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, pure in heart, he describes as single-minded. So let me pull some of these threads together. One in whom the gospel has taken root is one who is pure in heart in this way. At the core of who they are, there is an integrity, there is an authenticity, a, a realness, a single-minded desire for God. One who is pure in heart is not divided. Their heart is not mixed. Pursuing this, pursuing that, and a little bit of God. No, our heart is single-mindedly fixed on God. He's the one thing we will, the one thing we want. Daryl Johnson says this, even, even the desire for holiness is transformed into a pure and simple desire for Jesus, the Holy One. So third question, how do we get purity of heart? How do we get this single-minded pursuit, this single-minded devotion to God, this single-minded desire for God? And the answer is that we, we get that through the gospel. Or when the gospel gets us, when Jesus gets us, when we are gospelized, we look and we see Jesus. We see him humbling himself and leaving heaven to come to earth. We see him humbling himself and becoming human. We see him full of compassion. We see him full of grace. We see him humbling himself even to the point of being arrested and mocked and spit upon and nailed to a cross. We see him dying on a cross for you and for me, paying the penalty for our sin, for our wickedness, our rebellion. We look and see Jesus in all the glory of his sacrifice in our place, out of love for us, to forgive us, to cleanse us, to wash us, to clothe us with his perfect righteousness. We look to Jesus. How do we get purity in heart? By looking to Jesus. In Luke's gospel, we're told a story. Jesus comes to the edge of the sea and he gets into Peter's fishing boat and pushes off a little ways. And from that boat, while Peter is working on the nets, Jesus preaches. He teaches the crowd on shore. And when he's done, he says, Peter, put out a little ways and throw the net in. Peter's not real thrilled about this. He's had a long night where they've had no success. But he does it. He complies and he, he throws the net out. And, and we read that the net was so full of fish that the nets began to break. And then here's what Peter says. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. Steve Waldschmidt, an actor from Calgary, wrote a short play when he was a student at Regent where I studied. 
And in that play of this scene, he has Peter say to Jesus, go away from me, Jesus, because I will make you dirty. To which Stephen has Jesus say, no, Peter, you will not make me dirty. I will make you clean. How do you get purity of heart? By looking at the one who alone can make us clean. Gazing upon him in all his love, in his sacrifice, in the glory of what he has done for us. Conversation is recorded between St. Francis of Assisi and a fellow monk, a young monk named Leo. They were walking together. And Leo was quite down, quite discouraged. And St. Francis said, Leo... Do you know what it means to be pure of heart? And Leo's response was, of course. It means to have no sins, faults, or weaknesses to reproach myself for. Ah, said Francis, now I understand why you're sad. We'll always have something to reproach ourselves for. And then he said this, Leo, listen to me carefully. Don't be so preoccupied with the purity of your heart. Turn And look at Jesus. Admire him. Rejoice that he is what he is. Your brother, your friend, your Lord and Savior. That little brother is what it means to be pure of heart. And once you've turned to Jesus, don't turn back and look at yourself. We can't become these things by our own striving, by our own efforts. We cannot become pure of heart by trying to pull ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps. But I want you to hear this. We don't have to. We're not called to because Jesus is the only one who cleanses us. Jesus is the one who makes us pure through faith in him. All who look to Jesus and the cross, all who repent and believe are forgiven and purified and made new and given life And we see that when we see Jesus, when we turn our eyes to Jesus and we gaze upon him on the cross as we see his amazing love, as we see his amazing mercy and grace, as we see and behold the glorious gospel, we are gospelized, our hearts are changed. Lesser things fall away, and our desire for Jesus becomes our single desire. Wanting Jesus above all else. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the glory of the gospel. We thank you of your abundant love and mercy. We thank you, Jesus, for your invitation to come and receive from you what we can never achieve by our own striving, by our own efforts, but something you don't call us to achieve, you call us simply to receive. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would, even today, that you would purify our hearts, that those lesser things that we may be desiring, that we may be pursuing, that we may be living for, Lord Jesus, that you would root those out of our lives and that you would, in their place, give us a single-minded devotion to you. Fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Purify our hearts that we might see you. 
In your name we pray. Amen.